a big part of Jesus' journey toward the cross was the time that he spent in the Garden of Gethsemane. For there, the Lord struggled in his humanity to accept the will of God for his life. Never had anything of greater significance hung in the balance. To choose God's will would produce salvation for the world, but, but it would mean for Jesus the betrayal of friends, an unjust trial. It would mean Jesus being mocked and beaten, and it would mean crucifixion for him. In essence, it would mean great suffering, and Jesus crying out in the end, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, for him it would mean the relationship that he had enjoyed through all eternity, the relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, that relationship of intimate love and, and connection and presence. It would mean that he would lose that connection, that, that presence, and it would be awful for him. Yet in the garden, Jesus chose God's will. He chose faithfulness. He chose obedience. He chose death. That he might become the Savior of the world, for he knew his purpose. He knew why he had come to earth, and he knew what was required to deal with and defeat the power of sin and the power of evil and the power of death that we might be saved. That in the end, the creation of God might be restored. That God ultimately might be given glory. That God might be known for who God actually is. God of love. God of might. God of power. God of goodness. So Jesus in Gethsemane submitted his life to God's will. And for us, as Scripture says, it's by his wounds that we are healed. And he chose the wounds. In the garden, after his decision, it says this, Matthew 26, 47, all the way to 54. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that says it must happen in this way? You see, in the garden there were people who didn't see. They didn't see what was happening. They didn't understand. Certainly those who came to arrest Jesus and lead him off to die. They didn't see and understand. They didn't know that they were arresting the Son of God. But even his disciples. You know, early on, Peter, as many of you will know, when he had been told by Jesus that, uh, uh, that the crucifixion had to happen and that it was going to happen, 
Jesus, uh, Peter says this, or the text says this of Peter, Matthew 16, 20, 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And it's no different in the garden. <laughs> not at all. Obviously, obviously. For his disciples, think of Judas, his follower. <laughs> Would he have known what he was doing? Did he understand? Ultimately, And then the disciple who drew the sword and cut off the high priest's ear. You know, using violence to oppose what was God's will for Jesus. So today, my friends, can I suggest that this day is really about what we see? It's about what we understand in terms of what God was doing that night in the garden. Will you look? Will you see? Will you understand? So how do you respond to this Jesus and the journey he walked that night toward the cross? How do you respond to his willingness to die for us? The perfect one, laying down his life, (laughs) the the son of God, dying for what we have done. Essentially, Jesus that day took our hell upon himself. The beating, the mockery, the lies about him, the nails in his hands and in his feet, and ultimately death out of his love for us, for you, and for me. I think at times like this, our response often is one of wonder. God's son going through all of that that I might have eternal life? Sometimes it's worship. We lift him up and we worship the one who died in our place. And the response can be a response of commitment. Jesus, you gave your life for me. Today I give my life to you. All of it. Sometimes it's gratitude. (laughs) Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for me and taking my sin to yourself. And in the end, it's love. It's the Bible that says that we love him because he first loved us. He made this incredible act of love, which we see, we we perceive, and then we respond to it with love of our own for him. Jesus taking our place in our response to him. Well, the last thing in our love and our gratitude and our worship and our commitment, the last thing that we would ever do, we think, is to deny him. My guess is that's what Peter thought too before he actually did. Let me read to you Matthew 26, 33 to 35. This, of course, is before Gethsemane, but there it says this. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Well, of course, the arrest comes, and it says that all of his disciples deserted and fled at that point. And then this, 
Again, chapter 26, verse 69, all the way to 75. Now, Peter was sitting in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I didn't know. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely uh, you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You know, it's easy for us to stand back and judge Peter, and indeed all the disciples who fled Jesus. Um, But despite our best efforts, don't we do the same thing? Uh, We commit to following Jesus, and then we do what we want versus what he wants. We promise to be faithful, but in our actions we deny that we know him. Rather than yielding our lives to him in love, we often rebel against him and do what we want rather than what he wants. Too often we are committed not to Jesus, but to ourselves and our own well-being. You see, Jesus, if you would, here gives us this example of faith and obedience which produces the salvation of the world, our salvation. Peter gives us an example of our brokenness, our weakness. Our inability to be faithful to Jesus in the way that Jesus was faithful to us. And that, my friends, is why we need the Savior. To die for us that we might be forgiven of all our failures and our weaknesses and our our unfaithfulness to the Lord. We needed a Savior to come and die that our salvation might be because of what he did not because of what we have done. See, Peter shows us ourselves. He shows us our need. He shows us, my friends, how desperately we need to be saved. You know, Jesus was killed because of what people called blasphemy, claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be able to forgive sin, something only God can do, claiming to be the great I am. Listen to Matthew 26, 63 and following. It's, it's the high priest and the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God to tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied, but I tell all of you from now on you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven and the high priest tore his clothes and said he has spoken blasphemy why do we need any more witnesses look now you have heard blasphemy Uh, the charge was a mighty and powerful charge in that day my friends When that mock trial at the house of the high priest got those people nowhere, they took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, 
for he and he alone had the power to kill, to take life. If Jesus was to die, it would be because Pilate gave the order. So Pilate interviewed Jesus. The center of that trial was the question of who Jesus was. Was he the one his accusers thought he continued to say of himself? Was he the one he claimed to be? So Pilate asked Jesus the question. Matthew 27, uh, verse 11. The latter part. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. Before Pilate pronounces judgment, he has Jesus beaten. Um, hopefully to satisfy the Sanhedrin, hopefully to back them off from their demands of death. But in a way beyond what Pilate understood that day, he dressed Jesus in a purple robe, the color of royalty. And he put a crown of thorns on his head, signifying his kingship. And then after the judgment was made and, and, and Jesus was nailed to the cross, it was Pilate who had a sign placed above his head which read, King of the Jews. You see, trials are about coming to truth, aren't they? It's, it's a matter of looking at someone and um, coming to a place of deciding what, if what they say is true or not. And in the end, making a judgment about that person. Here's what I'd like to ask you this Good Friday. What is your judgment about Jesus? About who he said he was? The Good Friday story is about the Son of God dying on a cross in our place. It's about the Holy One of Israel giving his life and in so doing, taking our sin upon himself, paying the price for our sin, paying the price for our salvation. Is Jesus to you the King of kings and Lords of Lord of lords? Is he the one who saw our need and humbled himself in an astonishing act of sacrificial love? The journey of faith really is one of coming to a place of acknowledging Christ as Lord. Christ as the Son of God. Christ as King. Embracing that faith. Being forgiven of all of our sin. Coming into relationship with God and then living out of that belief. Humbling ourselves before our King. It's about embracing Jesus by faith so that His death ultimately becomes effective for us and having our guilt removed because of what he did. You see, it's a faith that leads us to recognize who Jesus was and is and bending our knee before our sovereign and giving him our allegiance and committing ourselves to live for him in all we do, not perfectly, but by the grace of God. Oddly enough, I want to suggest this to you, that we share the role that Pilate had that day in a unique and, I would suggest, significant way as we ask the question, who was he? And maybe more pointedly, who, who is he 
to me. So Jesus' journey ends on the cross. Let me ask you this question. How is it that God dies? The giver of life ceasing to exist? Well, I want to say to you this morning, the truth is that he doesn't die. Now, I know that sounds odd, but let me explain. It says in Matthew 27, verse 50, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. That's so important for us to notice. He gave up his spirit. He decided, as God, when the end would come. His enemies thought that they had finished him, but they had no idea of how wrong they were. Because that day, Jesus didn't die. You see, Jesus himself had said, in the raising of Lazarus, John 11, 25, 26. I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Of course, Jesus died physically. He chose it. He gave up his spirit. But I want to tell you something, my friends. His spirit carried on alive as ever. He decided, uh, the, the text says, that moment. And the Bible says that he went and he uh, set a host of captives free. You see, we see life after death in this story. We see the truth that in Christ, we never die. Because as was the case, with him, so it is with us. There is a nev never a moment when our spirits cease to exist, cease to be. It's an odd verse I want to suggest to you, at least in first reflection of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, which says that Jesus destroyed death. Of course, the resurrection proves that. We'll reflect on that on Sunday. We'll, we'll celebrate that. But the reality is that Jesus did destroy death. He didn't die. He gave up his spirit. And he chose to have his spirit leave his body. So that yes, he did die physically. But he never ceased to live. Here's the Good Friday reality. You will never die. Your body will, your heart will stop, and your brain will uh, cease to function, and your organs will stop operating. But your spirit will leave your body at a certain point in time, and you will live on, just as Jesus did. And another Good Friday question is, what will your eternity look like at that point? See, life with God in heaven becomes the reality for those who trust in Jesus, who believe in Jesus as God, who believe in Jesus as their king. And who believe that his work on the cross is effective for them personally. 
the other reality, of course, is an eternity separated from God, lived under the judgment of God for those who refuse to believe in Christ. So it's a choice, like Jesus at Gethsemane. Will we yield our lives in faithfulness to him? Leading lives of, 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 of faith, which translates into obedience and commitment to the will of God. Oh, like Peter, those, time, there, those times will come when we deny him, yes. But again and again, we will turn to the Lord in dependence on his grace, and we will find forgiveness. And we will experience against, again his love. So that in the end, the reality of our lives are lives which are lived with Jesus as king, submitting to his rule and his reign in our experience. I want to say to you today, if you choose faith, because Jesus has overcome death, because Jesus has defeated death, because Jesus has destroyed death, you will live forever with God in heaven. Because Jesus died for you, because he paid the price of your sin, because he took your place, because he experienced your judgment as he hung on that cross that day, you will live, and you will live with God forever. I've talked in this service today about people who could see and people who could understand and those who could not see and those who could not understand. My friends, my prayer for you is that your eyes are open wide, that you understand the reality of who Jesus is still today, that you understand the reality of your own soul and your need for him your inability to save yourself, that you see, that you understand what Jesus did for you that day so long ago as he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross and he, as he chose to give up his spirit. You see, he did all of that so that you and I might live, so that we might have eternal life with God in heaven. I say to you, every one of you who listen to me today, come to this place of faith. Trust in Jesus, knowing that his work on the cross has become effective for you because you have gone to the Lord and you have asked for his forgiveness and you have received that forgiveness so that your judgment is no more, that your guilt is gone, that your sin is forgiven. In that place, my friends, the Good Friday reality is yours as eternal life becomes yours.